0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for choosing to spend your Sunday with us. My name is Kyla Sills. I've been going to Glad Tidings for about three years. two years, not three. And me and my family, we just love coming here, and we ask that you get your families involved for volunteering. I volunteer up in the sound booth and also with the kids. We will be reading from Proverbs chapter 11, verses 19 19 through 21. Godly people find life. Evil people find death. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but he delights in those with integrity. Evil people will surely be punished, but the children of godly will go free. Proverbs chapter chapter 10, verses 8 through 9. The wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools fall flat on their faces. People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. Thank you so much, Kyla. So this morning we continue our series in the book of Proverbs and we are calling it Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times and we're looking how what might seem like things that could have been just for that time frame, it it actually applies, it's timeless, it's something that we can take and apply to our lives even today. Last week we talked with Grandparents Day, Uh, we had an awesome celebration and we talked about how... We leave a a godly legacy, how our lives should be lived in such a way that we pass it down to our children. And so this morning we're going to be talking about the character and the integrity of the heart, the personal life that everyone doesn't see. So, would you pray with me this morning as we go to God? Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are and all that you've done and all that you do. You are so worthy and so holy. God, I pray today that our hearts would be open, that we would not close off the Holy Spirit, but that we would humbly come before you and say, God, what are you wanting to speak? Not what do I want to hear, not what do I want to accept, but what do you want me to hear? What do you want me to, to accept and change in my heart? Lord, give us ears that are willing to hear but hearts that are willing to receive and lives that are willing to be obedient to your word. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give me your anointing. Holy Spirit, I cannot earn it. There's nothing I can do. There's no amount of studying or amount of prepping that is equal to the anointing. Lord, I cannot, I cannot communicate your word because you wrote it. I cannot commit, communicate your truth because you're the author of truth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit. Speak to us today. Speak in my heart and through my heart. That it would not be full of poison, but full of life. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. I want to start off talking about the reality of a mask. The reality of a mask. I brought up superheroes because a lot of superheroes wear masks, right? We learned from the Incredibles that no capes, because capes are bad, um, but they a lot of them wear masks. Clark Kent, he hid his identity. Spoiler alert, he's actually Superman, okay? In case you didn't know that, he used a pair of glasses, very, very, uh, <laughs> very believable, right? But Spider-Man uses a mask. Uh, we think of Iron Man. Most times he, he conceals his identity. Batman conceals his identity. And they use a mask to hide who they really are. I have my daughter's uh, makeup play kit here. And she's got all kinds of wood toys in here, some brushes. This is something that she, she wanted really bad for Christmas one year but she doesn't play with it as much. How many of you parents know what I'm talking about, right? But this is, it represents the real thing. It represents a makeup kit. And what's the purpose of makeup? It's to to cover blemishes. It's to to hide the unwanted or to portray to people something that you want them to see, not what is actually the real thing. True, The same is true with hats and, and dress-up clothes and, and dress-up toys, right? Here we have... My daughter's cowgirl hat. I think it's Jessie from Toy Story. But when I put it on, it's John Wayne, right? <laughs> Even though it doesn't fit. But <clears throat> it's only, uh, when I put this on, I'm not actually John Wayne, right? If I put this on, I'm not actually Santa Claus, okay? Kids, I'm not actually Santa Claus. But we put it on to, to change our appearance, to show people what we want them to see. We we use makeup or we use a mask to cover the inward, to show the outside a different light of what's going on on the inside, right? But it doesn't change the reality of what's on the inside. It doesn't change the reality of what's behind the mask, what's under the mask, what's behind the makeup. It only covers it up. So wearing a mask, it only shows what you want others to see. You're telling people to look at the possibility, the imagination, the Well, this could be me. This could be what this looks like, but it's a facade. It's not the reality. It's not the truth. So we do the same thing with our our lives. Um, If you think about the holidays are coming up, and oftentimes we try to put our best foot forward around the holidays, right? Family members talk about their jobs. I I made this decision a few years ago with my brothers. I said, Around the holidays, I'm not gonna talk about work or the weather, because those are the go tos, right? Oh, the weather's been bad, or, or work's been this. But we either, not, like, with uh, intentionally or unintentionally, we try to one-up the other person. We're like, oh, how's work going? Oh, it's going really well. I've been really busy. I'm getting a promotion. I'm, you know, doing a lot of stuff. What about you? Oh, well, you know, I'm doing this. And we try to, whether it's conscious or subconscious, we try to one-up the other person. We try to get them to see something. Maybe it's the reality, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's just what we want them to see. The scripture that we just dealt with is Solomon's writing, and he's talking about the life that you don't see, the inward life, the personal life, the integrity or lack thereof. John Calvin said this, there is nothing that God more abominates than when men endeavor to cloak themselves by substituting signs and external appearance for integrity of the heart. When we take... The external, we try to cover up, we try to put a mask over what's really going on. There's nothing more of an insult to God than saying, no, God, I'm not going to let you deal with my heart, but I'll let you, you know, remodel the outside. John Calvin says that there's nothing more that God abominates. Because he, he longs for the integrity of the heart. Now, if we're going to understand what integrity means, uh, we need to, to look at the dictionary. The dictionary.com defines integrity as this. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Now, for the Christian, it goes deeper than that. Because if we just stop there, well then, who's deciding the moral principles? That, that can change with culture, that can change with time. But for the Christian, Christian integrity, it is following the quality of being honest and having strong biblical principles. Not what I want this to say, not what I hope this will say, but what this says. I may not fully understand I in in my flesh, there are parts I wrestle with. And maybe at times you're like, I don't know, God, I, I'm not sure. But he's the one who wrote it. We need to come with, to the word with humility and recognizing it is his truth, not our truth. And so uh, integrity is taking biblical truth and allowing it to be part of our lives, to apply it to our lives. The word that is used in Proverbs 11 for integrity, it means impeccable, without defects, without um, having blemishes, completely perfect. So if you think of the most perfect thing in the world, I know what comes to mind, Krispy Kreme donuts, Right. Yes, amen, it does. Uh, Krispy Kreme donuts, they are perfect in the sense of the taste and the makeup of them, but who knows what's in them, to be honest. They may have defects, but to me, I think of that as being something impeccable. I've never gone to a gas station or Kroger or anywhere that I got Krispy Kreme donuts, and they weren't good. They've always been good. But when you think of what is the opposite of, Of something impeccable? What is the opposite of something that has no defects? Other than the New England Patriots, what comes to mind? Of something that has no defects? Of something that's full of defects. I said that backwards. Of something that's full of defects. I'm in Indiana. I should have got that right. I think of stagnant water. Okay, stagnant water is full of defects. It's the opposite of something impeccable. It's full of bacteria. It's full of growth, but not a healthy growth. Full of bugs, muck, and all kinds of things that is just sitting there and there's no life. There's nothing flowing in and out of stagnant water. You go by it and you're like, I do not want to drink that water. I do not want to swim in that water. It's just gross. This past week, my wife and I, we had uh, replaced our dishwasher. And this is the first thing. I, I'll say this. Whenever you replace something, there's nothing more manly feeling than knowing that you did it yourself. You're just like, yes, I replaced the dishwasher. Or a few uh, months ago, I I fixed the dryer and like, it's just like, yeah, let's go punch something, you know, (laughs) you just feel manly. But this past week, I I replaced uh, the dishwasher because ours had gone out months ago. And so it had just been sitting there. Well, I was undoing everything and uh, turned off the water line. I undid the water hose, unplugged it, all of that. Probably not in that order. I probably unplugged it first, but... The, uh, the last thing I had to do was unplug the drain. Well, one of the reasons it wasn't working was because the pump wasn't pulling the water out of the dishwasher. So I open up the drain, and what comes pouring out is just water that's been stagnant. That's just this foul smell. There's all of the food that was food, and now it's just bacteria, and it's just all over the floor. And it's not a pleasant smell, right? It's not a pleasant sight, but it's, and it's not something that you want to say, okay, well, I'm going to take a little bit of this water and take a drink. No, you want water that's flowing, that has life. The same is true if we, inte- if we lack integrity. If we lack integrity, we're just a pond full of bacteria. Things may be growing, um, but dishonesty growing. Things may be growing, but it's not life-giving. It's just bacteria. It's, it's death. And so, the question I have for us to think about this morning is, when people encounter our lives, do we show them a life that is full of life from afar, but when you get close, it's full of death, and it's full of bitterness, and it's full of just this this pool of nasty? (laughs) Or when people encounter us, do they encounter life? Do they encounter Something that they see, they immediately recognize that this person's life is full of integrity. It's genuine. It's without blemish. Now, I'm, I'm not saying, hear me out. I'm not saying that we have to be 100% perfect, okay? I think a lot of times in the church we've done a dishonesty to people because we cloak ourselves outwardly. And we try to paint this picture that we're perfect and no one's as good as us and this and that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one, no one who is perfect, no one who is worthy, but our hearts should long to be with Jesus. Our hearts should long to allow the Holy Spirit to change us, to speak to us, to make us more like Jesus. And so our public lives should reflect what's going on in our private, private lives. As Christians our lives should scream integrity without us even uttering a single word because of how we live our lives. Integrity should bleed out of our personal lives and into our public lives. Timothy Keller said this, If I've had experiences of God, it should show in my character. I should be a person of transparency, a person of integrity, A person of love, a person of holiness, a person of godliness. Now sometimes we try to flip that around. We try to say, okay, if I am full of godliness, if I'm full of holiness, if I'm full of love, if I'm full of uh, integrity, then I am more like God. But that's what the Pharisees did. They tried to know about God instead of knowing God. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. It starts with a close intimacy with the Father, allowing him to change our lives. To live a life of integrity, it's not something that we can just out of the blue decide one day, I'm going to be a person full of integrity. I'm just going to do the right thing every single day. It comes from our time with Jesus. And it goes beyond what people see outwardly. It's not this outward image that we portray to people that shows who we really are. It's the inward, the what's going on behind the scenes. It involves the heart. Now, I have two glasses of water. And from afar, they both look perfectly fine. They both look like they are fresh, they're life-giving, they're clear, that you would want to just take a drink if you're thirsty, Um, but when you get closer, you see that there's a difference, maybe not to the eye, but maybe microscopically there's a difference, because one of them came out of the faucet, and one of them came out of the toilet. (laughs) This one came out of the toilet this morning, I'm sure, I marked it, I marked it. This one came out of the faucet. What happens as Christians, sometimes we live our lives in such a way where we get to a place where we allow pride to to creep in. and, And we say, you know, maybe we do this consciously or subconsciously, but we get to a place where maybe we lax on our integrity. And we're full of life. We're full of just this beautiful picture of Jesus to the world. But then when stress comes on and when we get a bunch of pressure on us, we think, well, yeah, but I'm still going to church. I'm still reading my Bible. I'm still doing all the things I should do. Um, But, you know, with that business dealing, I'm really stressed out. I think I'm just going to, you know, compromise just a little bit there. And who wants to drink this now, right? You don't want to drink that because they're, are other things that are in that. It looks life-giving from afar, but when you've got close to it, it's not full of life. And maybe you, you keep going and you're like, well, yeah, but, but God, you know, I deserve this, and, and so I need to do what I want to do, and I want to follow my heart, and I want to just compromise a little bit more. And now you've, you've added some more water that's not life-giving. And eventually, you keep going and you get to a place where you're full of poo-poo water. <laughs> Pastor Josh isn't here, so I just said poo-poo water. <clears throat> but from afar, you look like you're life-giving. You look like someone who is, people would say, oh, they're really spiritual, they're a holy person. But when you get close, you've just clothed yourself outwardly with this image that, you're, that you have it all together. Instead of allowing God to speak to your heart. I want to talk about a heart of integrity for just a, a few moments today. A heart of integrity. Now in the Old Testament, King Saul, he was the first king of, the, of Israel. And God chose him because the people coming out of the book of Judges, they wanted a king. They wanted someone to tell them what to do. And God said, you know, I, I'll be your king, uh, essentially, uh, uh, paraphrasing. And they said, no, 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 we want someone that we can physically see that can tell us what to do. So he's like, okay, well, here's a man. He's, you know, he's who who I've chosen. He'll lead you guys. He'll he'll do what I've called him to do. And so he puts Saul into a place of power. Now, years down the road, uh, David comes along. And David's rising up, and, and he's more of a a man who is doing more impressive things than Saul was. And and Saul starts to hear about people singing songs about, you know, Saul has has killed this many people, but David's killed this many people. And so he starts to get full of, of hate and bitterness towards David, so much so that he tries to kill him multiple times. He chases after David, and his personal life, his inward life, then becomes darker and darker. It, it started off as something that was full of life, but then it continued to get darker to the point where he was going after David. Now, what we learn in the book of Acts 13.22 uh, says this, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David. So, spoiler alert, <laughs> God removed Saul and replaced him with David. A man whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So Saul started off, you know, trying to, trying to be a good king, essentially. And David comes along, and there's this jealousy, there's this bitterness, and he's going after David. David, on the other hand, was a man who was after God's own heart. He longed for the things of God. He longed to do what God wanted him to do. He, he wrote this in Psalm 101. He said, I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. I will praise you with songs. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from them, every evil. Okay, David was far from perfect. I don't want you to have this idea that, well, yeah, but that was David. No, David committed adultery, murder, he lied, he did all kinds of things. But the difference between Saul and David, Saul allowed that to kill his heart. David allowed that to renew his heart. He wrote in Psalm 51, he went before God after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he said, Lord, create a clean heart in me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. His longing, his desire was that God would renew him from the inside. He sinned. Whenever he sinned, he, he ran back to God. When he was fearing for his life as Saul was trying to kill him, he ran to God for protection. When he experienced victory in battles, he praised God. And as a result of David's life, as a result of his repentance, his obedience, his willingness to, to follow God and to do what God is calling him to do, his son, as a result of his integrity, then becomes king. His son becomes the king of Israel, and it impacts him. And so much so, in, um, his son said this, he said, Godly people find life, evil people find death. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but he delights in those with integrity. Evil people will surely be punished, but the children of the godly will go free. That was King Solomon. He was the one who wrote the text that we started off this morning. His father was a man after God's own heart. His father, David, was someone who you read through the Psalms and then you just see prayer after prayer and, and just poetry and, and songs where David is crying out to God because he didn't want to do his own will. He wanted to do God's will. And my question for us to, to think about this morning is, do you want your life to be a life of integrity that blesses your children? Because Solomon said this. He said um, in... In verses 19 through 21, he said, evil people will be punished, but the children of the godly will go free. Do you want your life to be lived in such a way that blesses your children? Or do you want it to be in such a way that when your children come in the room and they see you, it's immediately, oh, they're here. And they despise interacting with you. If we're going to be people who live lives that go beyond what people see outwardly, if we're going to be people who try not to cloak ourselves with this this fake image of integrity, but have genuine hearts, then it starts when no one else is looking. This is what Timothy Keller also said. He, He said the infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. The time that you get alone with the Father, that you are praying and you are, like the song we sang, um, when I am dry, you fill my cup, right? When you are getting alone with Jesus and you're asking him to renew you, to pour life into you, he's not pouring sewer water into you, he's pouring life into you. And that starts with our personal prayer lives. That starts with our time with Jesus, our personal prayer lives shape how we interact with, how we view, how we treat, how we just go around and, and, and mingle with other people. Our personal prayer lives should shape that. So my question for us to think about is when people look at your life, can they see that you know Jesus? Can they see that you know Jesus? When people are around someone for a long time, that personality starts to rub off on them, right? If you are around people who get in trouble, eventually you'll start to get in trouble, right? If you are around really nice people, eventually you'll start to to be nicer. Um, If you're around fun people, then you'll become more fun. But it's who we surround ourselves with. They start to rub off on us. We have three girls And our first, our oldest Adeline, she is very much like my wife in her personality. And my wife's not in here, so no, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna say anything wrong. I love my wife. Um, But her, how she reacts to certain situations, it's very much like how my wife does. And our second daughter, Piper, um, Pastor Josh has talked about Calvin being his crazy one. Piper is our Calvin. And so when I see Piper, uh, I do see a lot of my own personality in Piper, but it's because they've been around us they've they've been with us they they our personalities have rubbed off on them in the book of Acts, it records when Peter and John are speaking to a crowd, and the religious leaders hear them what they're saying and and they hear them say that the only way. To have salvation is through Jesus. The only way to, to be healed is through Jesus. And the religious leaders are pretty mad about that. The next day they uh, they confront them, they question Peter, and 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 when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he tells them, No, 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 the only way for salvation is through Jesus. The resurrection is only through Jesus. And it says this in Acts 4:13. So they, they arrest. Peter and John, and here's what it says. It says, The members of the council were amazed that they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men who who did not have special training in the Scriptures. But catch this. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They saw through their lives that they were around physically around Jesus, But so much so, they saw it through their character that, man, those are are people who've been with Jesus. And there's no such thing as having true biblical integrity apart from a relationship with Jesus. We can know the scriptures. We can know the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. They knew the law. They could quote it. They quoted it right back at Jesus. There was a time when he healed a man, and it was Sabbath. Well, they weren't supposed to work on Sabbath. And the religious leaders were, were really upset about that. They're like, Jesus, you healed him on Sabbath day. You're not supposed to be working. You're missing the point. He, he healed a man. They were so focused on the the small details of the law that they missed the whole purpose of what Jesus was speaking through the law. And so there's no such thing, like I said, as biblical, true and biblical integrity apart from a relationship with Jesus. Because if I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, then naturally I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. But if I try to do, 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 and just keep trying to keep the commandments and be perfect, then I'm not going to be loving to my neighbor. When people encounter our lives, do they immediately know that we know Jesus? Do they immediately see that? Do our actions, our decisions, our personal lives, our business dealings, how we speak, do they all reflect that we know Jesus? Can people see us and say, they've been with Jesus, I know them, they've been with Jesus. Or when people encounter us, do they think? How do they consider themselves a follower of Jesus? I mean, I've seen the way they treat their family, and they say they're a Christian. Or, or do they say I, I've spent I've I've seen how they've uh, I've spent time with them and seen how they've interacted with waitresses and waiters, and I know they don't tip well and they're very mean towards them. When people hear oh the church people are coming, they immediately start thinking things in their mind or. They say, I, I, I've seen them belittle their spouse and, and treat them poorly. There's no way that they've been with Jesus. Or maybe they say, I know how they run their business, and it's, it's corrupt. There's no ethics, and the way they treat their clients, that, that person has definitely not been with Jesus. And what happens a lot of times is the end response that people have is, man, that just solidified my view of Christians. The way that they treated me, the way that they acted, the way that they lived out their life just solidified my view of Christians. But guys, we are ambassadors for Jesus. We're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're supposed to shine the light of Christ to a broken world. And if we are not doing that, then their image of Jesus is broken. The thing is, if we are followers of Jesus, then we need to set the standard, not affirm the statistic. What I mean by that is the statistic will tell you a whole lot of different things. It will show you a big portion of people acting a certain way. The standard shows you how people should act, how should people should behave, how people should live their lives if I was homeschooled growing up, and I mentioned this during first service, if if I say I was homeschooled, you immediately think of different things, right? You're like, oh, well, he probably didn't leave the house, or he probably, you know, like there's all these different things that immediately come to to mind. Um, But when people hear the word Christian in the West, especially, it's not a pretty image that goes through their mind. They think of people who are, view themselves as better than everyone else. They they think of people who don't show grace, who don't show love. But if we profess to be followers of Jesus, then we need to follow Jesus. And that starts with our private prayer lives. That starts with going before God and saying, okay, Lord, as I read this word, I don't wanna take out what I wanted to say. Lord, what did you say? What When you wrote this Through the authors, what was your intended takeaway from the scripture and allowing the Holy Spirit to renew our minds? Because Christian, I'm speaking to the Christians, there are many people who have been wounded by the church, who have been hurt by the church. We fortunately have had a lot of people um, in glad tidings that have come back from those wounds, but in other circles, that's not the case. And they've been wounded by the church. And the body of Christ, the church, the people of Jesus, we're supposed to give life. I've heard someone say that, that the, the body of Christ is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints. We're supposed to be life-giving, not a morgue. But what happens is um, people come in and, and we might have the word. We might say, okay, well, this is the truth. But there's no love behind it. Well, this is what it says, but we're not going to show them grace. We're not going to be with them. And if, you're, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, or maybe you did at one point, and then someone hurt you really bad, and someone spoke something into your life that just made you think, oh, man, if this is how the church is, if this is how people of God are, then this must be how Jesus is, and it broke you in such a way that it changed your view of God can I just say, I'm sorry. I'm really genuinely sorry that they did not display the gospel because that is not the gospel. I I've heard this, this just came to mind, but I remember hearing this story one time. There was this guy who had gone to different churches and was hurt and, and many times just told things that maybe he knew in his heart. But people spoke it over his life. And he told God one day, he was driving around, and he said, God, I'm not going to go to any church ever again. But God spoke to him like, no, 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 just pull in here. And so he's like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in there. I'm not going to wear a full shirt. I'll just have my tank top on, show all my tattoos, and I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to see what they're going to say to me. And, you know, I'll prove that Christians are just terrible people and that they're bitter and that they are judgmental. And so he gets out of his car, and he goes up to the door, and he sees an old lady standing at the door greeting. And he's like, oh, yes, she's just going to let me have it, and then I'm never coming back to church. His encounter with the old old lady was she looked him up and down, and she said, Nice tats. And he was like, wow. In that moment, when she, when she spoke life into him and complimented his sleeve tattoos, something happened. His heart began to melt. The bitterness, the, the, the uh, callous around his heart began to soften. I want to finish with this story. And I want you to recognize, again, if you are a Christian, here's, here's my heart that we would be people who are people of integrity, are people who say, I'm not gonna try to put on a show. I'm not going to try when, when, you know, pastor's watching or when I'm around church people, I'm gonna try to put on this this great show. But then when I'm alone, I'm full of sin and I'm full of corrupt morals and I'm full of treating people terribly. And no, that we would be people who allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us in our private lives so that when we are alone, we're living lives full of integrity. And here's the thing. The heart of God is that you would find hope and freedom from your sin, not get kicked in the face while you're down. I, uh, I mentioned this story in the first service, and Pastor Josh has told this before, um, so forgive me if, you, if you've heard it recently, but it's a really impactful picture of the gospel there was this group of people who, they, they were in another country, and they were taken captive by a military a squad, and they took them and threw them in a, essentially a cage that was full of feces, that was full of urine and mud, and just a very disgusting environment. They starved them, they abused them, and it got to the point where what they would do, a, a way that they would torture them is they would come in and they would say, we're the Americans, it's time to go, let's go, we're gonna save you. And they would all, at first, they would all run out and then they would beat them and they would throw them back. And then they would do it again. We're the Americans, we're here. And they wanted to strip away all sense of hope. They wanted to take away any remaining bit of hope that they would find freedom. And so what happened was uh, the Americans, special forces came in and they, they were able to, to get into where they were. They were able to take care of all the captive, captors. And they got in that room and they were all just laying on the ground. And they said, we're the Americans. Come on, it's, it's time to go. We're the Americans. We're gonna save you. And no one moved. And they, it was confusing because it's like, no, w- no, look at us. We, we're military. We're the Americans. We're gonna save you. We're gonna take you home. We're gonna give you freedom. And, and no one looked, no one moved. So the, the leader of the squad, he, he recognized what was going on. And, uh, and he took his, his rifle off, and, and he set it aside, and he laid on his stomach. He laid in the feces. He laid in the urine, and he looked at the leader of the group in his eyes with his cheek pressed against all kinds of filth. He said, we're here to take you home. We're the Americans. We're here to give you freedom. They all jumped up. They knew immediately, okay, this is for real because the captors would not have done that. It would have been just this this trick to beat them and throw them back, to beat them and throw them back. What happens in the church if we're not careful and if we're not people who are full of integrity is we start treating people like the captors. We give them this view of freedom. We give them this facade, but we don't show them freedom the gospel what we should be displaying to people is that Jesus was without sin perfect in heaven he could have stayed but he chose willingly to come down to the sin to the brokenness of our lives not only that he laid his life down as if he laid in the mud as he, he laid in the feces and he looks us in the eyes and he says, I'm here to give you freedom. I'm here to bring you hope. As Christians, that should be our heart's desire. Not that we kick people when they're down, but that we live lives in such a way in our private that when we interact with everyone, they see the love of Jesus I want you to, uh, if you would stand with me this morning, and bow your heads and, and close your eyes. I just want to ask a couple questions. Um, the first question I have, and this is talking to you, wouldn't say you're a Christian. Uh, maybe you, maybe you've came, you've come in this place, and, and you've been hurt by people who claim to to show the love of Christ, but instead. They've just kicked you while you were down. And maybe somehow God brought you here today. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a coincidence, but he's brought you here today to tell you that you are valuable, that he loves you, that you are precious, that you are not the dirt, the sin, the the temptation. You are not defined by your past and and God's speaking to you today and saying you're not defined by that you're defined by who I am and who I say you are and maybe you sense the Holy Spirit this morning speaking to you and like okay unfortunately in the past maybe they didn't express the gospel in a way that it should have been or display it in a way that it should have been but today the Holy Spirit has spoken to me and, and I recognize that Jesus left his throne, came down to earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross. He who knew no sin became my sin. Not only did he die, but three days later, he rose from the dead, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for me. He's pleading on my behalf, and today I recognize I want a relationship with that Jesus, not the, not the Jesus that I've been pictured, that's been displayed to me over the years through people who've hurt me, but the true gospel. And today the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and I just, with all heads bowed and, and eyes closed, I don't wanna miss this opportunity. But if you're here today and you sense that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to give your life to Jesus, I would just ask uh, if you would please raise your hand because I want to pray for you. I'm not going to make you do anything weird or anything embarrassing. um, But with no one looking around, if there's anyone here this morning who wants to give their life to Jesus, if you would just raise your hand and then I want to pray for you this morning. my My next question this morning is for the Christian. How many of you would look at your lives and say, okay, I want to be someone who lives a life of integrity. I wanna be someone who displays the gospel of Jesus to those who are broken, to those who are hurting, who is not giving off this image, but who is showing them what he has done in my life. How many of you this morning would say, that's my heart's desire, that I would be a person of integrity? Lord, that is our desire today. God, not that we would try to paint this picture of perfection, not that we would try to live a life that hides the inner life, that hides the lack of integrity. But Lord, our heart's desire is that you would give us a clean heart, that you would renew our spirit within us, that you would take away all pride, Lord, that you would take away all sense of godliness that has no relation with you. And Lord, that you would humble us before you, that our hearts would be willing to receive what you would have for us, Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you took our place. We thank you for the freedom that we have in you. And may we be people who live lives that are full of freedom, that are full of life to those who are hurting and to those who are broken. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In just a moment, the worship team is gonna sing that song we sang earlier, uh, You Are My All in All. And my prayer for us today is is that that would be our desire, that God would be everything, that the times that we're around other people and the times that we're alone, that he would be our heart's desire. And I'm gonna ask if the altar workers would come up. If you want prayer, there are things in your heart that you're wrestling with and you want someone to to pray with you. Uh, I wanna give you that opportunity, but maybe you wanna spend time at the altar um, and just seek after God. Let's do this from a heart of humility. And let, let's pray that our lives would not be full of pride, that we can't see the areas where we lack integrity. But let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak in us this morning. So the altars will be open. Um, and I would just encourage you guys, let's spend the next few moments examining our hearts and asking God to use us in a transform.